This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. Genesis 9, beginning in verse 18. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Thank you, Linnea. So I am, uh, in a couple months, going to be, um, well, my 30th high school reunion is going to take place. 38 years ago, uh, actually just a few days ago, uh, 30 years ago, I graduated from high school. In fact, here's my uh, senior year picture. That's not Landon, that's actually me. And uh, this is, I know it's, it's crazy, isn't it? But this is 30 years ago, and I don't, they still do this? Like we had a special pictures taken and everyone had their dorky, but the seniors had their really nice ones and I decided to go real formal. And, and not only do we have a nice picture, but we also then were able to do a yearbook quote. And you know, those were widely ranging, right? My friend Russ, uh, his yearbook quote was, time flies like an arrow, but fruit flies like a banana. And I don't know. I can't figure it out either, but that was his yearbook quote. Uh, but I chose to kind of like preach a little bit in my yearbook quote, kind of like, here's a message for my fellow students. And, and I said, listen, my, my quote was this, the choices you make today determine who you are tomorrow. The choices you make today determine who you are tomorrow. Now, probably it was a little persona work with the picture and the quote. I wanted to look wise. And let me tell you, at 18, I was not wise. But... Um, uh, the quote does hold true. I had no idea to what degree at that age, but the quote certainly does hold true. The choices you make today determine who you are tomorrow. Uh, and there's an interesting kind of like movie trope that's been uh, put around. You know, one little event will happen that will send someone down completely different trajectories. And uh, like, for example, there's the movie called Sliding Doors. It was put out in like uh, 98, and it's Gwyneth Paltrow. And listen, I've never seen the movie, so if you've seen it and it's, and it's like horrible, I don't know. But, I, but this is what I know about it. Uh, the idea is she's trying to get on the tube in London, and there's two different versions of her life that plays out. And one one version, she doesn't make it in time to the train. The, the door slides shut. The train leaves. Uh, and another version of her life, she just barely makes it on the train. 
And on the barely makes it on the train one, she goes home, she discovers her, her uh, boyfriend is having an affair, she dumps him, she ends up finding the love of her life, and her life goes happily ever after. On the didn't make it on the train version, she doesn't discover the affair, and she spends her life miserable with this other guy. And the whole point is that one little event, one little thing can completely change the trajectory of your life, or the choices you make today can determine who you are tomorrow. And as I was reading this story, uh, that's what jumped out to me. What we have here is several different people making several different choices, and these seemingly simple, easy choices have massive ramifications, especially when you think about Israel and Canaan and what goes on there throughout the rest of the book of Genesis. It's pretty crazy, and not only that, but the whole Pentateuch, how all this lines out, it is, it is so interesting to see. But it leads us to a really, I think, a big truth that I wanna emphasize this morning, and I think that big truth is this. My simple choices today matter. My simple choices today matter. You make a ton of choices in a day. I've been thinking about this all week as I've been preparing to preach it. There are so many little choices that we make. And those choices can have huge impact. So I wanna look at three different trajectories that I think the text is emphasizing. I think this is what Moses is showing us as he's writing this. And so let's just talk about this first, where foolishness leads, where foolishness leads. Let's go back and, and pick this text up again in verse number 18. It's really interesting how the Hebrew writes this, and I'll unpack some of that for you, but look at uh, 9.18 where it says this, the sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Ham was the father of Canaan. You're gonna see Canaan kind of alluded to and mentioned a lot. Hang on to that, we'll see why. Verse number 19, these three were the sons of Noah, and from, there, uh, from these, the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Then you have this in verse number 20. Now, Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. So hang on to that for a second. That phrase, man of the soil, is actually a pretty decent compliment in the original language. It's like he's saying he mastered the soil. He uh, was the lord of the soil. It's kind of the idea, like, he was really after it. He really understood, and, and, and why? It's because he has this vineyard. And then verse 21, he drank of the wine uh, of the vineyard. So the idea is he did a great thing when he planted a vineyard, and, and he even went about and cultivated wine from that. And what we have here in this story is this kind of balancing act that we have all throughout the rest of the Bible is in, in the blessing of wine and the danger of wine. And both of those are seen here in the text and really all throughout scripture. Because then you have this in verse 21, and he drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. This balance is seen throughout other parts of the Bible, like here's Psalm 104, which says this, you curse 
Uh, you cause the grass to grow from the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of men and oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. So here again, you have in Psalm 104, it's, it, it's just stated, God gave us wine to gladden the heart of men. In fact, we acknowledge that Jesus turned water into to wine, and when you read that story, uh, it was actually good wine, because he comes back and he says, hey, normally people save the bad wine for later, and you brought the good wine in the last. So, so, so it's hard to say, uh, and I grew up Baptist, and it's really hard to say uh, that, that wine is okay, that you can say that, that um, wine, it's not a sin to drink wine. Uh, however, and it's a big however, um, more often than wine is commended, there are dangers about wine that the Bible reveals. And we see that wine is a dangerous thing. And here is Proverbs 20, verse number one, which says this, wine is a mocker and strong drink a, a brawler and whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. In Proverbs 23, we see the picture of a drunkard and the Bible says this, who has woe, who has sorrow, who has strife, who has complaining, who has wounds without cause, who has redness of eyes, those who tarry long over wine, those who go and try mixed wine. It's really interesting when you talk about wine and connected to, and drunkenness and connected to nakedness. Habakkuk says, you, uh, I didn't put this one up here, but Habakkuk says, woe to you who make your neighbor drink so that you can view his nakedness. So yeah, it's a very, very, very dangerous thing. And I think that we have a not great balance in Christendom today. And I think that uh, if, uh, there was an article came out recently, but does alcohol sober you? And I think there is an element that that's true, where we need to be very, very careful in careful moderation. But if you can't control it, then don't drink it. And here we have Noah, and he certainly doesn't control it well. <laughs> and was it a sin? Did he sin here? That's a, a question a lot of commentators were debating. Is this sin? Well, it's hard to say no, since Ephesians 5.18 says this, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, some commentators were saying, yes, but that comes way later, and the warnings of wine come later. He didn't have that knowledge. Was it a sin? Was it not? Well, here's one thing we can say for sure. Back in Proverbs 20, verse number one, it was foolish. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. And the opposite of wisdom is, church, foolishness. It was foolish. Now, um, we're gonna talk about this throughout the morning here, but foolishness and sinfulness go hand in hand in the Bible. And here for sure we see a lot of things happening because of Noah's unquestionable foolishness. I would say Noah probably sinned. But I can say for sure he was foolish. And I can say absolutely drunkenness today is a sin. In fact, let's all say that together. Drunkenness today is a sin. Okay, all right. But here's foolishness. And Noah's foolishness leads to horrific things. 
causing his son to stumble, not being the example he should be. And that's what foolishness does. Foolishness, foolishness leads to destructive places. Proverbs 19 says this, when a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. Isn't that true? You see it all the time in foolish people. Why did you allow this, Lord? Well, you were kind of dumb, and that's why you fell into this. Well, it wasn't so much God's fault. Maybe, maybe we should take some of that blame. But the point, a man's folly brings his way to ruin. Foolishness leads to destruction. Now, we have to think through this a little bit more because um, is all foolishness sin? You know, how do we divide sinfulness and foolishness? Well, well, this helps a little bit. I think in the Bible, they are very closely related because foolishness is often people disobeying God's commands. Especially in the book of Proverbs, whenever you disobey the command of God, that is sin. But there is some foolishness that is not sin. So here's a couple of definitions that may help. Sinfulness refers to any violation of God's moral law or commands. It is seen as rebellion against God's will and a failure to live according to his standards. Foolishness, on the other hand, refers to a lack of wisdom, understanding, or discernment. It involves making unwise choices or acting without considering the consequences. I'll say it this way. All sin is foolishness, but not all foolishness is sin. Here's a from my life example. This sermon probably saved me uh, a little bit this week. Uh, we were having some, uh, well, the, the elders from Light City Bible Church were here in Fort Wayne, and we all, the elders from our, our, our Adam and I and the elders from Light City had lunch together, and we made them lunch over at the office. We got the grill, got that cooking, and uh, I was making some chicken on the grill, and I had some of those pieces of chicken way in the back, and you know how sometimes grills work. You got a deep grill, and there's the, the, there's the upper deck grill. Is that what it's called? The upper deck grill? Kind of the grill warmer area, and, and, and I grabbed the wrong tongs. You know, we have the long tongs and the short tongs, and I grabbed the short tongs, and I'm like, I gotta get that piece of chicken back there. And, uh, uh, but I had the short tongs, and I'm like, I, I, it looks like it'll go. <laughs> it looks like I can get my hand in there without touching that upper deck thing, and I'm like, okay, foolishness or not foolishness? Is this dumb? This is kind of dumb. Let me go get the long tongs. They're just right around the corner. I'll get the, so I got the long tongs and probably didn't you know, burn myself as a result. Uh, so if I would have grabbed the short tongs and burned myself, is that sinful? No, it's not sinful, but it's kind of dumb. It's kind of foolish. There's a difference between foolishness and sinfulness. Another, um, this is important with, I think, uh, parents dads in particular, because sometimes we get uh, angry at our kids when they've been foolish, and um, to the same degree that we'll be angry if they're sinful, and those are two different things. It's one thing for your kid to say, no, I'm not doing that, and defy you when God's word says to obey your parents, but it's another thing to be goofing at the table and spill your milk. And if spilled milk 
has the same degree of vitriol in you that disobedience does, maybe you need a better balance. And there's an element there of I gotta acknowledge my kids', kids foolishness and I gotta acknowledge their sinfulness. But foolishness can lead to really bad places. So a couple of questions for you as you think about this. Is it wise? So be asking yourself these things as you kind of think through as you're functioning in a day. Is this a wise choice or a foolish, foolish choice? Have I gathered enough data to know? Do I know what I'm talking about right now? There's a lot about foolishness and babbling in the Bible. Do I know what I'm talking about right now? Does God's word have anything to say about that? Because you certainly don't wanna fall into sinfulness, which leads us to our next pathway, not only where foolishness uh, uh, leads, but how about this? Where sinfulness leads, where sinfulness leads. And let's take a look at verse number 22 now. So here we are in uh, Genesis 9, verse number 22. And Ham, the father of Canaan. Second time it's mentioned that, by the way. It also mentioned that in verse number 18. But here it is again. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his brothers outside. Now, what's going to happen as a result, you know, when, when Noah wakes up, he is going to pronounce a curse on Canaan, Ham's son. We'll unpack why that is in a little bit. But the point is, is that this is unquestionably sin. He falls into sin and he is cursed and generations are cursed as a result of this sin. Now, some people have made more of this than I think needs to be made and there are some allegations that uh, there was something more than just looking that happened here, that somehow Ham violated his father, that something sexual happened. I don't believe that's the case at all and the reason why I don't believe the case is because the text doesn't say that. What the text says is he saw his father. In fact, when Shem and Japheth come in, the correction to Ham's problem is that they don't look, they don't see. It was in the looking and, I believe, it was in the shaming of his father. Man, you should see this, man. Dad's naked in the tent, come check this out. It's so stupid, dad's an idiot, man. Come look at this, what's going on? It's a shame that is the problem, the shame is the sin. And the Bible is really clear about a son mocking a father and the importance of honoring your parents. Exodus 20 verse 12 says this, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Here is one of the 10 commandments, and that is honor your father and mother. In fact, Jesus reminded the Pharisees of this when he said, honor your father and your mother that your day, oh, sorry, uh, in, Moses, in Mark chapter seven, verse number 10, uh, Jesus said this, for Moses said, honor your father and your mother for whoever reviles his father or mother must surely die. Quoting scripture, he says that very thing. 
And of course, the commandment to honor never leaves. Here is Exodus chapter six, or sorry, Ephesians chapter six, which says this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and you may live long in the end. Listen, God takes the honoring very serious and he takes the dishonoring very, very serious here. How serious? Uh, take a look at verse number 24 and we'll see how serious he takes it. And when Noah woke from his wine and knew that what his youngest son had done to him, he said, cursed be Canaan, cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. It goes on from there, but a cursing is pronounced. First time a human curses a human in the Bible, but without question, this has divine authority behind it because we see it playing out all throughout the rest of the Pentateuch. A curse occurs now, are you a little confused by it too? Because look at this, uh, verse number 24. When Noah awoke from his wine, he knew what his younger son had done. Who was his youngest son? It was Ham. But who gets cursed? Canaan gets cursed. You're like, okay, what? How, did that, how does that play out? Well, honestly, centuries of commentators I uh, can't exactly come to an agreement as to why this is happening the way it is, but there are three leading thoughts as to why this is happening that way. One is that God had just blessed the sons of Noah, and uh, Noah's coming and saying, look, I can't undo what God has done, so I'm gonna then curse the child instead of the son. That's a possibility. The other one is that there's some mirroring going on where uh, Ham was the youngest son of Noah, um, Canaan was the youngest son of Ham, and that might have been the case, but what I think what's really happening is this. I think Moses is setting the stage for the rest of the Pentateuch. I think he is giving reason for why we see what's happening later on. In fact, uh, Gordon Wyndham uh, says this about uh, this uh, issue. From Ham descended Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. Now, the Canaanites are notorious throughout the Old Testament for their apparent, uh, sorry, uh, that word, sexual practices. And Leviticus 18.3 links both Egypt and Canaan as peoples who inhabitants are abominable. Ham's discretion towards his father may easily be seen as a type of the latter behavior of the Egyptians and the Canaanites. I think what Moses is doing is giving that theological foundation for the conquest. In fact, it's exactly what uh, John MacArthur says. He says this, the shift from Ham to his son Canaan established the historic legitimacy of Israel's later conquest of the Canaanites. Look, whatever the case, sin brings massive consequences. James says this, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own church. What's that word? Desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when fully grown, brings forth death. Jesus revealed 
<clears throat> the thief comes only to kill, to steal, and to destroy. John 10, 10. I came that they have my life and they may have it more abundantly. The thief only comes to kill, steal, and destroy. This is what sin does. <coughs> sin kills. Say that with me if you would, please. Sin kills. It kills relationships. It kills opportunity. It kills fellowship and closeness. Sin is destructive. And it's just not something to play around with. When you have something so volatile, so destructive, not something to mess around with. When I was in the uh, army, um, we had training on how to throw a hand grenade because you get trained to do that. So if you ever need a hand grenade thrown, I'm the guy to call. I'll come over and, and I'll help you out with that. But uh, I'll never forget the day we're marching up to, you know, they, you practice and you practice and you practice, and then you actually have the day where you throw a live hand grenade. It's one of those exciting days in the Army. You get to throw a live hand grenade. And I remember the, the cadre who oversee the, um, the, uh, the range uh, were there, and these guys were, you know, telling us, listen, if you mess around today, I'm going to hurt you. They said, no one's going to look, no one's going to see. And if you don't throw that thing right, I'm gonna beat you down. This is my, I mean, they were so nervous. My wife and my family and my kids are at stake here. You throw the hand grenade right. And when you throw a hand grenade, what you do, uh, by the way, and, and don't ever throw a hand grenade, okay? But if you do, uh, you grab the hand grenade, you have a pin right here, and you kind of pull it, pull it back like this, and you throw it, and as you throw it, you go down under the bunker, right? But as soon as you pull the pin and drop the handle, there's a, you have a ticking, literally a ticking bomb in your hand. We had this guy in our base of training. His name was Hershey. That was actually his last name. And he is one of those guys where, I'm up with this way, his voice cracked the whole time he was there. So we weren't sure if he was old enough even to be in basic training, but he was there in basic training. And, and uh, um, uh, Hershey just, you know, the recruiter should have just said, the army's not for you, kid, is what he should have said, but he didn't. And so Hershey, here's the exact, and we can all see, we're, kind of, we're all behind the bunker, but we can kind of see through, you know, plexi, what's going on. And so we all witnessed this. And so here's Hershey. What Hershey does is he pulls the hand grenade, he goes back, he drops it, and he freezes. Yeah. The cadre went boom and jumped on him and started gut punching him like this. <laughs> You don't mess around with hand grenades. But we play with sin. Yeah, I know I'm struggling with pornography, but every guy struggles with pornography. No, no, no. It kills. I know drunkenness is a sin. And I just, you know, I just things got a little crazy and I had a little too much. <laughs> Not funny. One is a mocker. Drunkenness is sin. Did you see what so-and-so, and did you hear da 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 gossip and slander, and we play with it, and it can blow us up. 
sin leads to incredible destruction. It, it, it kind of makes sense when you think about it. So I have, um, I went and bought a couple uh, weeks ago uh, an electric lawnmower, thinking that was a good idea. And I bought um, a, a battery-powered electric lawnmower. And I'm a dude, okay? And it looked so easy to put it together. So I put it together and put the batteries in, and I just could not figure out how to start it. They gave me a defective one, I said in my anger to no one who was around me because I was all alone. But, uh, and I could not get the thing to start. And so, you know what I did? Got the manual and looked at the instructions on how to start a lawnmower. <laughs> and you gotta push the button. See, I was like pulling the handle. I was pushing the button. I was pulling the handle, pushing the button. Like, it didn't work. No, you gotta push the button, then pull the handle, and boom, it came on. Now, the bad news about it is it, 15 minutes of mowing time is all I got out of it, so I shipped the thing right back to where I got it from and went back to my gas mower. Um, but anyway, point being, the manual gave me the instructions. Whenever you try to do life outside of God's ordered instruction, it's not going to work. Getting a little old King James on us here. The Bible says this, good, uh, good re- Understanding giveth favor, but the way of the transgressor is hard. The way of the transgressor is hard. So, where are you walking outside the boundaries of the word of God? Think about about the choices that you make. So you're going through life and you got this choice in front of you and it's so easy, man, just pick pick something. You gotta pick something, you gotta go down a certain road, you gotta make a choice. Is that choice foolish? Does God's word have anything to say about this choice? And by the way, you might be surprised at how much instruction is in the word of God. I'm making my way back through Proverbs again right now in my personal devotions and I'm just like always shocked. Like, There's so much wisdom here. It's the book of wisdom. So of course there's wisdom there, but it's an incredible amount of guidance that we have. And this choice that I'm making, seemingly simple choice, but if it goes against the word of God, the ramifications, the playing out of that can be incredibly destructive. Listen, if you're toying with sin, and you know, even right now, maybe the Holy Spirit is laying some things on your heart that you, you know you need to get right. I wanna, I, wanna, I wanna point you to some incredible counsel from Acts 3.19. Here's Acts 3.19. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. And it goes on to say this in verse number 20, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Talk about a pathway and where it may lead, a choice and where it may go, the choice to repent, to turn from your sin, that choice leads to times of refreshing from the Lord. Foolishness leads to bad places, sinfulness leads to destructive places, but let's, See this in the text, where righteousness leads, where righteousness leads. And I wanna go back to verse number 23 now in the text. We're just marching our way through. And now we have verse number 23 come up. And uh, uh, here you have it. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it on their shoulders and they walked backwards and 
covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward and they did not see their father's nakedness. By the way, another reason why I believe that it was his seeing and shaming that was the sin and only that. But, but anyway, so, so put yourself in their shoes. Your little brother comes and, dude, 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 check this out, man. Dad, what a moron. He's laying naked in the tent. Come check it out. Now, probably you're like me and like, that's not very tempting at all. Like, that's... That's okay, you know, that's fine. Don't need to see that. Uh, but, but it was the idea is they had a choice here, right? And, and, and they had several choices. One is to participate, one was to do nothing, or one was to do something right and good for their father and to cover him up, to have his back, to do the righteous and good thing. And that's what they do. They chose righteousness. And that led to some place. Verse number 26. But he also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. Blessing is announced on those who walked in righteousness. And listen, I can say on the authority of God's word that what comes from righteousness is blessing. Here's Psalm verse number 11 through 12. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. And that makes sense. Once I read the manual and did what the manual said, my lawnmower started. When I'm doing life the way that the designer of all designed life to go and told me in his book, of course it works out better. And God blesses the righteous. Now I need to be very, very careful here because there are some people who've taken that and run the wrong way with it. And so we have a group of people who proclaim this prosperity gospel that if I just live the right way and have enough faith and I'm gonna have health and wealth. And I'm not saying that at all. I'll give you a couple of words of very important caution here. First of all, I'll say this. It is wrong to think that God is obligated to bless you. He is under no obligation to bless us. And oftentimes, not just bless us, but bless us in the way we wanna be blessed. And the way I wanna be blessed is with some health and some wealth, baby. But if you go down this road that, listen, I, I've been here a lot as a pastor in helping people. Where I have people come to me and they'll say, Pastor, man, I've been spending decades reading my Bible, memorizing verses. I went to Christian school, then to Bible college, and then to seminary, and I've done everything right, and yet God has not blessed me. No, 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 he has, just not the way that you're demanding that he has. And listen, God is not a vending machine, I put in my righteous coins and I hit my choice and God better give it to me. That's not our God. It is wrong to think that God is obligated to bless you in the way that you want to be blessed. And I'll say this, importantly, if 
financial blessing and health are the least worthy of blessings of God. Here's what I mean by that. There's a whole bunch of other stuff God is blessing you with that's way better. How about love? How about joy? How about peace? Tell me that the rich and the healthy have peace. I wouldn't know, <laughs> so. <clears throat> but I do know, because they don't. Boy, love, joy, peace, sounds familiar. What's that from? Oh yeah, Galatians. But the fruit of the Spirit is, reading with me, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. I love that. I got a lot of people telling me, man, I wish I had more control of myself. I wish I had better self-control. Okay, walk in the spirit by living in obedience to God's word as much as you can. Walk in the spirit by being obedient to the word of God. And these things grow, they produce in you. And God produces fruit singular that comes out of the spirit, which is all of these things Maybe in varying degrees at various times, but man, you want more patience? Then walk in the spirit by being obedient to the word. You wanna be kinder? You wanna have more peace? Just go, ah. You want some of that? That comes with walking in the spirit by living obedient to the word. And I'm telling you, this is, this is what we're after, and God blesses that. So, uh, again, this has been on my mind a lot. Obviously, I'm preaching this, so it's been on my mind a lot this week. Foolish, sinful, or righteous. And uh, if you were to present me with uh, three doors, in which door am I going to choose, the foolish door, the sinful door, or the righteous door, I don't need help from the studio audience in picking that door. I, I wanna pick the righteous door, but it is, it is uh, amazing how uh, much our hearts don't want the right thing. And it's shocking to see that it is, it is not as easy as you think it would be to say, oh, this is the righteous door. I'll just walk through the righteous door. Sometimes it's hard to know what is a righteous door, what is right. But very often, it is plain to see. And just a little question, just a little pause. Okay, I'm making a choice here. Which am I gonna make? Am I gonna make the foolish choice, the sinful choice? Am I gonna make the wise choice? God, help me make the wise choice. Now, a quick question. How many here, after hearing the sermon today, are gonna leave and only forever make the righteous choice for as long as they live? Anybody say amen to that? You're making a choice right now. Are you gonna lie or not lie? What are you gonna do? Because all of us are fools. All of us are sinners. And we're all gonna mess up. But I have some good news, and it's actually... It's actually interesting to see this in the text. I want you to look at this in verse number 27. This may have caught your eye too. Check this out. So verse number 26, he says this. He also said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be a servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem. Yeah, if God came to me and said, blessed are you, Jamie, you're gonna dwell in your big brother's tents. I'm gonna be like, What? I want my own tents. I don't want his tents. But guess where the, what line the Messiah came from? 
Shem. I want to live under the covering of the Messiah. And I do live under the covering of the Messiah. Second Corinthians 5.21 says this, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Church, read this last phrase with me. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, when I place my faith in Jesus, and I believe in what Christ has done, he only made the righteous choice for as long as he lived. And all of his righteous choices are put on my account. I'm considered righteous. It's as if I've never been a fool. It's as if I've never been a sinner because Jesus was in my place. And so when I do make a foolish choice, when I do make a sinful choice, that can just be law. If I, if I left you with just make the righteous choice, make the, you know, if I left you with that, man, you'd be so burdened down by law because you're not gonna do it, but Jesus has done it for you. And so what you do is you run to Jesus. And then church, out of love for a God who loves me, I strive for holiness. Out of love for a God who loves me and the fact that I'm covered by the Messiah, then I am gonna strive to make that righteous choice for God's glory. Why don't we pray? and ask God to help us with that. So Father, we thank you for your incredible grace, your incredible love. We praise you for your goodness to us. And we come confessing. I wish I could say, even when this sermon was on my shoulders all week, that I always made the righteous choice. But as I look back, I didn't. But God, because your love has covered me and you love me still, I want to. This week, Father, help me to put on a mindset, a perspective, a lens where I'm thinking about my choices. I'm pondering where they might lead. And then, Father, out of love for you, because you love me, would you help me, empower me with your spirit to make the righteous choice? And I'll give you the glory because you alone deserve it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Redemption. You are loved.